Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. more back in the saddle of course it is radio contra the podcast of americanpartisan.org brushbeater.org brushbeater training and consulting and hosted by me the commandante of the mossy oak militia nc scout and it's great to be back with you on this post election special uh <laughs> And uh, boy, oh boy, do we have a few things to talk about in this episode. But first, a word from our sponsors. Nehemiah Strong, my good friend John Dislin with Nehemiah Strong. You can check his book out at johndislin.com using the code SCOUT1 at checkout. Civil Defense Manual, Jack Lawson. Pick up the two-volume set at civildefensemanual.com. At civildefensemanual.com, I wrote the communications chapter in that book, and I think that's worth the price of admission alone. Blacksmith Publishing, my very good friends and special operations legends, Mr. Paul LeFevre and Mike Blackburn. And I was recently on a episode with them over on their podcast, The Pinelander, not that long ago before I uh, took off down to Florida, and that has since aired. And I'm going to have to get that up on AmericanPartisan.org. But uh, we had a heck of a lot of fun. We talked for just over an hour about the state of things in the world and, of course, here in the United States. And uh, I think that it, it's definitely worth a listen, as is everything that they put out last and certainly not least my very very good friend my fellow absolute menace on the social media channels mr joe dolio with tactical wisdom the four volume set and uh anyhow diving right into it so spent a good amount of time away during the election. The last episode was uh, 198, and we were talking about the fallout from the Brazilian election, which is still um, chaos, absolute chaos. Uh, it does, at least at this time, according to my sources, um, it does look like Lula is going to be installed as the president. There, there was some back and forth. Um, 
while I was teaching the scout course and then I had a follow on RTO course uh, for John Ammon and UW gear uh, down in the great state of Florida uh, on election day. And um, it, it was, th- there was some back and forth. It was looking like some things were going to, were, were uh, coming into play. Uh, there was a possibility of a military coup, but here's the thing. Um, even though the, the military in Brazil, which is organized uh, as a separate entity from the politics of the nation. You know, here in the United States, there's been great pains, especially after World War II, to integrate the military into the political machinations uh, of Washington, D.C. in an effort to prevent a military coup. Uh, But in... Most of the rest of the world, that's not how things are run. And um, it, it, the military in Brazil, very, very dissatisfied with the results of this election uh, in Brazil, as uh, they usually are. And, and I can speak from experience when leftists were elected here in the United States, there's certainly mass dissatisfaction. Uh, at least in your your combat arms, in your you know your your meat eaters, your trigger pullers, and um, you know there was some talk about a military coup. I don't think that that's going to occur. Uh, there's certainly no support for it coming from Washington D.C., and I think that that such a thing would lead to uh, direct intervention by uh, elements that are supported by the Chinese, uh, as well as Wagner Group. So uh, it would look very much like Venezuela. However, however, that that is the case at this time. Things could change, and um, I think that that things will change. I do believe that had our midterm elections went differently, it, it would paint a different picture for Brazil. Unfortunately, um, I know that had Brazil fallen into uh, danger of a military coup. And I'm not saying that that's off the table yet again. Uh, I, I am not saying that at all. But but there are um, the 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 question of external support is always one that is critically important. And uh, you know military coups don't just happen uh, w- without external support in in one way or another. That's that's just not how they happen. And, um, you know, you have to understand that, that BRICS is a very real thing and it's becoming more and more real by the day. And since our own midterm elections are still very much in the air, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit in this episode, I don't expect much to, to come out of Brazil. Uh, but that being said, that's the picture at this time. That's not to say that Brazil won't have some sort of uh, very serious thing that's going to happen in, in its near future. And what I will say is this, looking just to the other side of the South American continent, uh, Peru is very much in the same scenario uh, right now. And there's mass dissatisfaction on the ground with the leftist who was um, who has been president for a short amount of time. They want him gone. And uh, I, what I will say is that if Brazil begins to experience more widespread unrest in an organized fashion, uh, something more than a riot. If they begin to experience that and it's looking like a coup is, is going to take place, I would expect Peru to follow very closely along with Colombia, 
Colombia has has really looked their their military has really looked towards Washington for leadership, which they have not received. And they, you know they, they're they're kind of biding their time right now. Um, so I, I would expect those three to fall into chaos very quickly because Venezuela has established itself as the power broker of the region, as the hegemon of the region. Uh, so Nicolas Maduro is, is really finding himself, um, of course, propped up by the Chinese and the Russians. He, he's really finding himself in an interesting position. Uh, so we shall see. Uh, we shall see. But the, the situation on the ground in Washington, D.C. is really what is precipitating um, this, the, the, the shift in the power structure. And it, it's very unfortunate because it's playing right into the hands of the Chinese. Now, there's probably some people out there that are saying it's just exactly what this administration wants. And I wouldn't disagree. Uh, you know, I can... I can certainly hypothesize that and we can deduce that, but we can't necessarily uh, say determinately at this time. But speaking of Washington, D.C. and Nicolas Maduro, of course, we have John Kerry, uh, who, like a, a bad case of herpes, just doesn't seem to go away. Uh, John Kerry, the literal face of white privilege, uh, the, the embodiment of the, the uh, Ivy League power structure itself, um, you know, of course, never having produced anything of his own. He did serve a month in Vietnam, however, uh, so th there is that. And then he, he came back and, and threw his uh, participation trophies into a river very famously. Uh, but uh, anyhow... John Kerry met with Nicolas Maduro at the UN's current climate accords. Uh, of course, this was mostly ignored by the American media, will continue to be ignored by the American media, because they don't want you to know that this is what's going on. Now, Now, uh, Kerry is very much part of the shadow governance that is going on right now. He is um, very much a, an overt part of that, and he is right out there in the open. And I think that it's fascinating that he was meeting with Nicolas Maduro, who is part and parcel of the Russian and Chinese power broker scheme that has been going on for two decades now, uh, began with Hugo Chavez and has now um, manifested into Nicolas Maduro. And Maduro, having survived an American coup attempt at, at the behest of uh, the Trump administration. And so now, very interestingly, he's shaking hands and in a, a uh, very friendly and embracing gesture with John Kerry. Now, at what cost? Who is benefiting from this? This very, very interesting position in which we find ourselves uh, here. So, you know, this this plays into the larger hypothesis that I've made over time. If you go back and you listen to the Red Dawn episodes, uh, you know, Red, Red Dawn Part 1, Red Dawn Part 2 uh, that I've done, and where I, I talked about the larger scheme of maneuver that is going on here by the, the DC power structure and how there's a very strong case that can be made 
that they're working in conjunction with the Chinese. Um, you know, who created the Chinese? That's an important question, is who made the Chinese? Who made them what they are? And when you trace the origins of that, when you go back to the early days of Mao, before the Long March, before the Chinese Revolution really hit its stride, if you read the work of Edgar Snow, I know, what a concept to read something, right? But if you go back and you read that Red Star over China, I implore you to read that and to understand your history. And then you will begin to understand. Then you will begin to understand Nixon's trip to China. Then you will begin to understand NAFTA. Then you will begin to understand the WTO. You will see all of these pieces. There is a recurring theme over and over and over again. There's more to this than what we like to give credit towards. There's more to this than what we like to admit. And there's been a very real shadow hand in Washington, D.C. that has infested Washington, D.C. for a long time now, for well over a century, that has been guiding foreign policy at the cost of America. You know, it's, it's right there in your face. And they're bringing the war home. Dwell on that one. Dwell on that one. Now, very interestingly, Radio Contra. And I want to dive into this because this directly affects us. And, and Radio Contra was censored before the midterm elections. And so I got a heads up from some listeners who um, keep in contact with me fairly closely. And, and a couple of them have been to class and, and uh, very interested. They say, hey, you know, where they reached out and say, hey, where'd your podcast go? Did it get banned? Did it get deleted? Did it get, uh, you know, or, or are you still on the air? And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm teaching a class down here in Florida and they said, well, we can't, we can't find it. You went from being ranked number one to now we, we can't find you at all. And, you know, so lo and behold, look it up, you know, open up the Podbean app, uh, fire up the Podbean machine and lo and behold, we're gone. And, uh, you know, it, it, we, this so Radio Contra, I, I am very, very proud to be in some incredible company with this podcast and, you know, some some, you know, wonderful, excellent conservatives that, that are really, really um, carrying that torch on, you know, the, the, the torch of William F. Buckley and Rush Limbaugh and and, and the guys who, who really have created this standard out there and, and, you know, we're winning, we are winning. And I'm going to be talking about that here in, in just a bit, but I want to point out something that in two episodes ago, I talked about how there was going to be a reaction from big tech to the, uh, the liberation of Twitter to the, the private ownership now of Twitter and the balancing of the platform to where, you have, you know, the, the liberal voices on Twitter haven't been squelched. Okay, the, the only squelching that's happened on there has been self-selecting, 
right? It, it's been just the, the overt dumb activities, just the silly little stunts that they pull and throw in a temper tantrum, which is what all leftists always do. They throw a temper tantrum and, you know, they, they weed themselves out of the gene pool. But there hasn't been any censorship, at least not that I've seen. There, there hasn't been any and there shouldn't be any. And so because there hasn't been any censorship, now you have organizations like the ADL and the ACLU and all, all the usual suspects get out there and say, oh, well, now it's become a platform for people using racial slurs. Right. Well, who is it that's using these racial slurs? I mean, they, there are some people in the, the world out there that that's just how they talk. Right. So are we discerning? Are we filtering out who these targeted people are? And further, although making such statements is in all cases distasteful and it's something that my dad used to say when when you you resort to the most foul language out there. It's a sign of being an idiot, right? But that being said, you still have the right to say it. Okay. You still have the right to say it. Everybody has a constitutional right to be an idiot. Okay. And, and so there isn't any censorship that's going on, at least that I've seen. No, no squelching of leftist voices. They're just simply getting fired back upon. Okay, you, you can't win in the marketplace of ideas and you know that you can't win. So you relied on censorship to be able to shut people's voices down. Well, I very accurately predicted that there was going to be censorship coming out of all of the other big tech platforms in response to that. And so right before the election, a lot of conservative podcasts, the ones that were all leading the charts, the ones that were all uh, really knocking it down and were really, you know, carrying the fire out there, speaking that truth to power, we all got taken down. We all got taken down for such podcasts as The Revolution, uh, which is put on by MSNBC. Uh, Microsoft NBC, I might add, because that's what MS stands for, in case anybody was wondering. Uh, you know, we, we we have Michael Moore's podcast, uh, the Michael Moore podcast, with a grand total of four followers. Uh, so since Election Day, today, uh, as of this recording, it is Saturday. Election Day was last Tuesday, of course. And Michael Moore, the Michael Moore podcast has picked up a grand total of one follower from three to four now. And I'm sure that, that those first three were probably his media managers. Uh, but they, they moved all of the news commentary charts, right? They moved all of the news commentary uh, podcasts that were on the charts, rather. They removed all of the conservative ones, right? Myself, Jesse Kelly, Steve Bannon, right? With War Room, Mark Levin, Glenn Beck. They took all of them down. All of them down. And I keep receipts for everything. Right, I keep receipts for everything. I, I take screenshots of stuff. Other people take screenshots of stuff. We save it all. All right, see what they do. But it's it's posted up. It's out there. It's promulgated. You know, and and I'm not saying that I didn't expect this, and I'm not saying that um, this is uh, atrocious behavior on their part, even though it is. 
But I expected this. I expected this kind of behavior, and that's fine. Because we have 10,410 subscribers. Because we have an incredible audience that follows this podcast that reaches out to me on a regular basis. My, my inbox of both email accounts that I monitor, of both of them, right? They, they are overflown to the brim with listener responses and people who, who are wildly anticipating the next episode each time one of these gets published. So when you speak truth to power, to take a term from the left, as I very much enjoy doing, when you speak truth to power, when you are fired up, when you are that passionate, and when you are correct, because you must understand That when you are correct and when you are winning in the marketplace of ideas, when you are winning in the public square, they will throw everything at you because they cannot defeat you. They cannot defeat you. And the last thing that they have is to try to shut you down. I was very, very uh, surprised when we got over 100 subscribers. I was very surprised when I didn't get shut down in in the first month. And here we are coming up on 200 episodes. Look at what all we've accomplished and we are just getting fired up. So when you censor us, when you shut us down, when you seek to demonetize us, as has happened. We find a new way. Because this is a prairie fire. You try and put it out. and It gets that much hotter. It gets that much stronger. You give me more ammunition. I'm not going away. Somebody has to do this. Somebody has to speak that truth to power. That's where Radio Contra is. Countering the communist lies. Now, shifting gears just a bit, let's talk about the election. Let's talk about our midterm election. So, this this idea of the red wave, it was a, yeah, you know, there was some hopium for sure. Uh, the media was predicting this, projecting this, and, and this really should have been a big warning sign. What I will say, though, is, is that amid historic unpopularity numbers, the Democrats have still eked out wins, and, and even in some surprising cases. Uh, and, and why is that? Of course, one of the races that was uh, very hotly anticipated, much watched, was uh, Fetterman, the mumbling joke of a man, uh, Fetterman, who, you know, they, they blame his failings on having a stroke. The, the guy was, uh, he, he was lost before the stroke. I got news for you. Um, that, that isn't what made him the way he is. Uh, 
Too much acid, too many drugs. That made him the way he is. Uh, but that being said, we, we have our first uh, Antifa candidate in now. The, the guy's ink on his arms. The, the guy's ink on his arms owes to um, his background as a left-wing radical. It's it's very telling. Anybody that knows how to read street ink, um, you know, the, the, the black line on his arm he went straight edge at one point in time, uh, but and he may have lived that lifestyle. But th- there's also some other ink under there that he's covered up. That's the reason that it's there. Um, the the other gang sign that he has on the inside of his arm. He he's been a left wing radical for a long period of time, you know. But but I will say this too: for all the the lefties out there, how does it feel that you have elected someone who? acted on bigotry and racism. Uh, he absolutely did. Now, I don't personally believe that it really matters much in pointing that out. I think it's kind of silly. But still, bears repeating, you know, he did chase a black guy down the street with shotgun, right? He was following Joe Biden's advice and chasing down the street and held him at gunpoint, right? After he heard gunshots, the guy had nothing to do with that. You know, this this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. But that being said, congratulations, Pennsylvania. Um, and he was elected mostly by mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots. So people can lay the blame on Oz all they want. I think Oz was a ringer candidate the entire time. Uh, Mehmet Oz is a product of Harpo Productions which is Oprah's production company. And then Oprah turns around and, and comes out and says that she's supporting Fetterman. I think that that's um, very, very telling. That is that is very, very telling. Oz ran a piss poor campaign from the beginning. He was going to do that. He was set up to lose. It, it, this was, it, it was very, very obvious to anyone with the eyes to see it. Uh, you know, shifting gears over to Maricopa County, uh, Maricopa County is just openly trucking in more and more ballots. Uh, you know, they're finding ballots. Oh, oh, the mail-in ballots, mail-in ballots. Well, how long does it take mail-in ballots to show up? I mean, I thought the whole point of a mail-in ballot was to get there before Election Day because you couldn't make it to the polls on Election Day. And I think it's very interesting, too, that in Maricopa County, this is the only county where this is occurring. Across Arizona. Maricopa County, that's it? I mean, more people live in Arizona than just Maricopa County. Uh, th- this this is ridiculous for starters, but this, this is very blatant electoral fraud. Um, plain and simple. Plain and simple. You know, you, you can make whatever excuse you want for this, but this is electoral fraud. That's what is occurring here. I would like to know how many of these mail, quote unquote, mail in ballots are going Republican. Any wagers? Does anybody, anybody venture to guess? I, I would say probably less than 1%. You know, the thing is, is that the longer they go with this and the greater the questions of electoral integrity, become the worse this looks okay and we did not fix the questions of election integrity 
from 2020. Of course, we knew that we weren't going to do this. It, it, it was simply not going to happen. Uh, because the party that is in power, that attains power, is not going to do anything to try and change that. If anything, they're going to double down. And that is exactly what has happened here. Uh, so, you know, we have, despite historic unpopularity numbers, we have the Democrats, which may very well control the Senate again. We still don't know, which is absolutely ridiculous in and of itself. We had an election. We should not have to wait uh, longer for understanding where the these um, the where where the seat of power is going to lie. Okay, it, that's this is this is not how uh, quote unquote their democracy. Right, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. Uh, their efforts at turning it into a direct democracy is one of the reasons that we're in the problem that we're in right now. Uh, there are lots and lots of people who are voting who shouldn't be allowed to vote, uh, who should be ineligible to vote. And there's a lot of votes that are flat out fraudulent that should have been thrown out and are instead counted. So this is pretty ridiculous. But on the bright side, looking at Florida, I think Florida is, is a path for the future. Of course, you know, we know from the 2000 election that, that Florida was very much in this this boat back then. They had all these, these problems with ballots. They had all these problems with votes. They had all of these issues. And a lot of that went by the wayside through the efforts of electoral reform and through the uh, efforts really uh, came to fruition under Pam Bondi as the attorney general. And so uh, fixing their election laws and, and fixing the issues that they had, fixing those loopholes that Democrats were using to cheat and really cleaning out the boards of elections in many of these problem counties, uh, which are still issues in Florida. But if you look at a Florida electoral map, you can see that it overwhelmingly went red. Even some of the traditional areas like Miami uh, that, that have voted blue have went conservative. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And so that brings us to the next thing that I wanted to discuss is the row between Trump and DeSantis and this schism that is uh, sort of becoming of the uh, Make America Great Again movement and, and you know, the new right, uh, the new right of the, the second decade of the 20th century or, or really getting into the third decade. Uh, so first, you know, this, this all started with Trump uh, calling DeSantis to sanctimonious. He had, had a Trump rally. Uh, of course, DeSantis won by double-digit numbers, huge margin. Uh, he's doing really, really well. He's wildly popular in Florida. Um, Charlie Chris, I was down in Florida, and I didn't even see one, not one Charlie Chris sign. Uh, there were a lot of billboards up for DeSantis. There were a lot of flags for DeSantis. Um, you know, th there was a lot of signs. You, you, the back roads back, you know, in, in, in North Florida, there were, there was DeSantis stuff everywhere, right? You didn't really see anything for Chris. And even, you know, as I got towards Jacksonville, 
it was kind of more the urban areas. You still didn't see anything for Charlie Crist or uh, Bob Barker, as I like to call him, because he looks like Bob Barker. Um, that, that, you know, he, he's, but he, he was a problematic candidate. I think the Democrats threw him out there. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, we got, we got to point that out for starters, but you know, they knew they did that because they knew that they were going to lose when they ran Gillum. They knew that, uh, they were running a serious candidate with Gillum and they had a shot at winning, uh, DeSantis, Barely eked out a victory against Gillum, and and uh, you know there were a lot of reasons for that, but you know now he pulls out double digits, and he's wildly popular. He handled the natural disasters very very well. Uh, his leadership in Tallahassee is very effectively done, and he's really making the other governors look bad and other conservatives look bad because. Why aren't you doing what he's doing? And he's getting out there. He defied, you gotta understand something. He defied Fauci. He defied the lockdowns. He defied the mandates. He sent illegals to the heart of the liberal elite, the very heart of the DC power structure. He sent them to Martha's Vineyard. And what did they do? They called the National Guard on him uh or on the people that were up there and and you know then of course the the sheriff of bexar county says that he in in texas he's going to launch an investigation for human trafficking yeah okay um good job with that best of luck with that uh their sheriff of bexar county um good good luck you know nice publicity stunt but they they were perplexed they don't know what to do about that and so you have Trump, who is obviously gunning for 2024 run. There was some talk that after the midterms, uh, immediately following the midterms, he was going to make his announcement for campaigning. Uh, that is have has of course backed off now. Um, you know, and, and so when we begin to to break this down, I think that that Trump very much sees DeSantis as a rival now. And as somebody who uh, Trump very much in, in the position of kingmaker, a position that he wants to be in and, and one that he does not want to willingly abdicate from, he's now going on the attack, which is typical human behavior. And this is something we've seen out of Trump. Now, I want to state up front that uh, I greatly admire Donald Trump and I greatly admire the, the presidency and what he was able to achieve. Um, you know, he, he took the conservative platform, brought it into the 21st century and showed that conservatives path forward is not the milk toast party of Mitt Romney and not the, uh, you know, corporate tax cuts and, and, you know, the, the Herbert Hoover style conservatism that leads us to nowhere, but rather standing up and fighting for America. And fighting for the middle class, fighting for the working class, the true working class, you know, not not the ones that, that claim they're middle class and, you know, with a silver spoon in their mouths, but the actual people who are producing in America. And so when when you run on that platform, you're going to win 100 percent of the time. And, and Trump was able to bring that back. And he's very proud of that. 
And, you know, we should be very, very grateful that that happened, that it finally happened, that it invoked the populist base saying, finally, someone is standing up and saying the things that need to be said. But you have to understand that, that you know, he, he made some critical missteps. Trump made some very critical missteps. And leading up to January 6th, there was a number of things that he should have corrected and did not. And one of the big ones, at least from my perspective, one of the big ones was uh, with Mark Esper. Mark Esper was huge in the renaming of military bases effort. He defied those orders. And so Trump habitually allowed this insubordination from his superiors. Mark Esper was really uh, the, the last in a long line of insubordinate inferiors, lessers to him, members of his cabinet. You know, he had Mark Mattis. He ordered Mark Mattis to end, formally end, transgender service in the military. He declined it. He had Mark Milley, who was wildly insubordinate. He didn't fire him. Why didn't he fire him? He just waited till these people stepped down, or maybe did not. He got Chris Ray in to be the director of the FBI. Boy, that was a mistake. You know, we, we can look back and Monday morning quarterback it all we want, but at the end of the day, these things matter. These things matter a lot. And this is what has brought us to the situation which we currently recognize right now. And so I support Trump, um, obviously, but if it, he needs to understand that uh, what what's for the good of, of the larger movement, uh, if he can't recognize that the movement is not about him and it does not serve him. It serves us and it serves America. We comprise it. We're the working class. We're the middle class. We're the engine that drives capitalism in the United States. That is what we are. And I'm going to do an episode very, very soon where I'm breaking this idea down because it's never been done and never been explained in the proper way to conservatives to understand exactly how the left sees you and why they are targeting you, why they're targeting America. If Trump doesn't understand these things, then he needs to step aside. If we're going to get four more years of Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, then he needs to step aside. If we're going to get four more years of talking of good game, but not doing, then he needs to step aside. Trump can certainly still be the kingmaker. He can still serve his own ego. He can still galvanize the base. He can still draw a crowd. and The people are still going to love him. The sin fighting, it's no good. It's no good for the larger movement. Except for one thing. Except for one thing. It does, however, draw a lot of media attention. 
And that is a good thing. That actually is a very good thing. It draws the media attention away from potential pitfalls and the facts that, that very realistically, maybe there are some shortcomings in contemporary conservatism and that maybe we didn't win big, as big as we expected to. And so having a little bit of controversy back and forth maybe creates the illusion of division, which can be healed over time, as all wounds are. We don't know. But what I will say is this about it all. The greatest strength of the left is solidarity. And that's what the right desperately needs. That's what we work towards. And so, in saying that, I want to say this, a parting note. I want to give a huge congratulations to Representative Mike Belcher in his freshman term to the New Hampshire State Assembly. Congratulations, brother. It's an honor to have you on and to help where we could with the election effort. It is the first successful campaign, the first of many successful campaigns that Radio Contra has been able to contribute to, that this audience has been able to contribute to. And let me tell you something. You want to talk about a firebrand conservative that knows the left inside and out and is probably the smartest man in local politics today. And he's elected. Congratulations. And we're going to have you back on this show very, very soon. With that said, folks, I hope you also understand that we've had some victories, we've had some losses, and we're going to continue to do so. We're in a war. We're in a war. And it's one that the power structure is not going to abdicate so easily. They have no intention of doing. You need to be doubling down on your training and preparation efforts right now because I'm telling you, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what they are going to pull. And things might be spiraling out of hand very, very quickly. Brushbeater.org slash training calendar. Much of 2023 is up on the calendar. And we're going to be adding courses for the remainder of the year uh, for 2023 here very soon. The remainder of that calendar is going to be going up. And when it goes up, that's it. Uh, That's it. That's what I'm doing because I've got big plans for other projects that are going to be unleashed on the world in 2023. If you thought that 2022 was a breakout year, just you wait. Just you wait. We've got a lot on tap and a lot that we're going to be talking about and a lot that we're going to be doing. With that said, folks, it is an honor to be back with you once more on the air. Got a lot of content that's going to be coming your way for the remainder of 2022. With that said, folks, God bless. Stay safe. Train hard. And I will talk to you again very, very soon. This is NC Scout. Out. Out.